Well, again, good morning and welcome to One Life Community Church. My name is Greg. I'm one of the co-lead pastors here. And as it is every Sunday I get to be with you, it is delightful and wonderful and fantastic to see each and every one of you because I believe that God does something unique when we are gathered together. I believe he speaks to us in a unique way uh, when we are here together. So uh, let me pray and we can, we can get ready to hear from the Lord together. Uh, dear God, I give you thanks for your presence in our lives. I give you thanks for this day. I ask that, uh, as I believe is true, that you do speak to us in a, in a unique way when we are gathered together. I pray you would tune our hearts not only to you, but you would tune our hearts and knit us together as part of your body. God, that we would be able to work and function in a, in a unified way uh, that would only be strengthened by our being here together today. And so I pray that we would receive from you. I pray you would help us be ready for that. And, and I pray that you would speak to us this morning. And we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, we are in the last week of our summer sermon series entitled Mixed, uh, Summer Mixtape, where some of the staff and elders got to preach on whatever we wanted. We got to pick whatever topic we were interested in or whatever one of our favorite passages was. And as I was getting ready to, to, to preach this morning, there were a couple things that I became aware of that I wanted to uh, share with you. The first of is which some of you may not be aware of what a mixtape is. Um, it's, it's the... <laughs> It's the old school version of a playlist, and so if you're more comfortable with summer playlist, uh, please feel free to, to adjust that however you need to. But whenever you make a playlist or a mixtape, what you're doing is you're putting together a group of songs that fit a certain genre, uh, maybe a mood or a moment, some kind of event or season, uh, and people have all kinds of playlists. They have road trip playlists, they have tailgating playlists, they have breakup playlists, they have first kiss playlists, they have all kinds of stuff. We just celebrated my, my parents' 50th wedding anniversary, and I made a playlist for that. Um, but the thing about a playlist or a mixtape is it's usually done by an individual. Uh, it's usually done by one person with a specific theme or event in mind. And when we had this idea for this series we called Summer Mixtape, we called it that because each of us got to pick the verses or the topic that we wanted uh, to teach on. And, but in a real sense, it's not a true playlist or a true mixtape unless... Um, there was someone else behind it authoring uh, our decisions. And, and I think and I hope what you've heard through this is that not is it just the summer mixtape, but it is the Holy Spirit's summer mixtape or playlist for One Life Community Church in the summer of 2017. Uh, because I think it's not at all coincidence that even though we may have thought that the passages we were picking were seemingly random, uh, there is indeed a theme that is throughout all of these and I think is inspired by the Holy Spirit, and I want to walk through that for a moment before we get into our passages uh, for today. So first, Ben took us through this amazing exploration of two reactions to rejection. Right after the transfiguration, that's this event uh, where Jesus takes three of his disciples and he goes up on this mountain and all of a sudden Jesus is glowing and there's Moses and Elijah there with him. Uh, and uh, and uh, Brian uh, also talked about this a few weeks ago, and we were in our Mark series, and he renamed it not so much the transfiguration, but more the revealing or the revelation of Jesus, where we get to see who the Messiah really is. And so Ben took us through this walk right after that event where the disciples and Jesus are interacting with this Samaritan village that had rejected the disciples in their request for a place for them and Jesus to sleep. Um, and so uh, as they were heading on their way to Jerusalem, they wanted a place to sleep. This town said, no, you can't do it here. And so the disciples said, hey, Jesus, can we uh, 
call down fire on this village. That seems like a good idea, and we've got some biblical backing. There were times in the past where some of the prophets called down fire, and so this seems like an okay idea. But Jesus rebuked them, said no. Uh, And so we are challenged to look at how we respond to others who don't believe the same things that we do, people who might reject us and, and reject Christ. And in the end, we discovered that Jesus, being the center of our worship and the center of our lives, has a big impact on how we interact with other people. Then Rich helped us see God's creation and design for humanity, that we are a body. In fact, we are the body of Christ, and that all of the parts are needed. Each person is needed in order for this body to work as it was intended to work. And in fact, God is a body of sorts in himself, that he exists as an interdependent community that we call the Trinity, the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. And that Jesus has made himself present in this world in a way where he actually needs us. And as his body, we do things that absolutely matter and impact things in the world. And so the lives that we live in big and small ways, big moments in the day-to-day moments, change things around us. And that within this body of Christ, there is no unneeded or unwanted part. And then last week, Dan walked us through this beautiful and for me personally freeing reminder of what it looks like to follow Jesus and the role that prayer plays in that following. What makes followers of Jesus distinct is this reality that following Jesus is about knowing and being known. It's not like someone today that I like. I might follow Russell Wilson on Twitter or something like that, but Russell Wilson has no idea who I am. And all I know is the way he chooses to present himself via Twitter. So it's a very limited Uh, understanding in our relationship but when we follow Jesus again we're entering into a relationship where we get to know God fully and he knows us and the path of communication in that is prayer talking and listening and this again is what distinguishes the life of following Jesus a relationship that Jesus calls us to himself not a list of rules or a checklist of behaviors and so I wonder if there's, we can see this movement throughout this. We start with this revelation of Christ as Messiah and the transfiguration. that Messiah is forgiving, even in the face of rejection, by the very ones that he's going to die for. And that following him means we are to be the same. There's relationship both with God and with people. We are the body of Christ. No one is unneeded in the body of Christ. And no one is to be left out or seen as more or less loved or lovable in Christ. As the body of Christ, we are connected by the head of the body, which is Jesus. So again, we have relationship both with God and with people. And that our communication with God, also known as prayer, talking and listening to God, is the lifeblood or the context for all the things that we do. And that to follow God is to be in relationship with God, not simply following rules or a code of conduct. That this listening and talking with God forms how we listen and talk with each other. Again, relationship with God, relationship with people. All these side trails we could go off and explore, but I find it beyond random circumstances that when we individually thought of the passages that we wanted to teach of independently from one another, what we came up with was this series that's all about relating to God and relating to people. And not just people in our church, not just people outside of the church, but all people. And so we come to the end of this series with a topic that I think ends it well. There's a word that's a name for all these relationships and a word that I think is vastly underrated and misunderstood in our culture, and that word is friendship. Today what we're going to do is take a look at what it means to be friends, which is what I believe is the state that God intends for all of his creation, all of humanity, every person, no matter what race, gender, age, belief system, political affiliation, 
favorite sports team, band, TV show, etc. None of those things should have the power to stop people from being friends in the biblical sense. So if that's true, what does friendship like this look like? Well, as I mentioned a moment ago, uh, two weeks ago, my brother and I had the privilege of hosting my parents' 50th wedding anniversary. This is them, their engagement photo, um, and they're adorable, I know. Uh, This is them at their wedding, Uh, fantastic uh, picture. Um, And here's a picture of them with my brother and I now. Um, You can... uh, yeah, they're awesome. Uh, and here's a picture with them and, and my family uh, now. Um, and one of the things that, that we did was we had a time where people could give toasts and share stories, and it was great. And, and the two things that came up consistently were uh, my parents' faithfulness to one another in their marriage, that they walked through everything together, that people would say things like, where one went, the other would go, and you never see one without the other, that they're always there for each other. They always have each other's backs, and they're always supporting one another, and, and they go into things together. Uh, and my brother and I both noted this growing up in, in a wonderful household where we got to experience that. The other thing that came up was that there was this group of friends that uh, made up uh, pretty much their whole bridal party, and most of them were able to attend. And these are people who had been friends from with my parents before they got married, so 50-plus years of friendship. And I realized as they were talking that these are people that I saw like every weekend. Right? These were like my extended family. These were like aunties and uncles, that people that were always around, whether we, uh, we all had different properties down at Ocean Shore, so lots of times we'd go down there together, we'd always see each other, having parties at each other's house on the weekend or whatever, but these are the people and the families I grew up with. And so there was also this faithfulness of friendship that existed in this group. So I want you to kind of have that in your heart and mind as we start walking through this. Now, we're going to do something a little bit different this morning in terms of scripture reading. Uh, Instead of just me reading or to one other person, we're going to try something. It could totally fail. That's okay. Um, Whenever a passage of scripture comes up on the screen, I just need someone to read it. It could be anyone. Okay, so I want you to speak with a loud voice if you can. If not, it's up on the screen, so we'll still have it. So even if someone can't hear you completely, they can still follow along. The way it's going to work is when the slide comes up, Someone reads that slide. When it switches to the next slide, a new person reads. And so you'll only read one slide. And whenever a slide comes up that has scripture on it, someone just, if you feel led to read, uh, please, please do so. Uh, I do also want to let you know in your bulletin, there's a blank space for you to write, draw pictures, do whatever you need to do uh, to to stay engaged with what we're doing this morning. So uh, a verse will come up in a few minutes, but I wanted to give you a heads up on that before we get going. Uh, The story we're looking at this morning starts in the Old Testament with these two men, one named Jonathan and one named David. Now, the relationship between these two is often depicted as one of the greatest friendships in the Bible, but also one of the greatest friendships in culture, in history. But what is it about that relationship that makes them such great friends? Because there were tons of obstacles to keep them from being friends. Uh, They came from really different backgrounds. Jonathan is the son of Saul, who was the current king of Israel at the time. He's a skilled and renowned warrior. David is from a small town out in the sticks and is a skilled and absolutely unheard of shepherd, who just happens to also be God's pick to be the next king. Uh, So they come from really different backgrounds, but there's this moment we encounter in Scripture where something happens and, and a friendship begins. So we'll start. This is our first verse, 1 Samuel 18, 1 through 4.
awesome. Okay. The word love came up in here a couple of times. And the Hebrew word in love in these passages that is used look, looks like Ahab, but it's Ahav. And it describes human affection, both physical and emotional, for other humans. But it also describes human appetites for objects. So this is uh, kind of a catch-all word for love, where if I say, I love motorcycles, that's the word it would be. Or I also love my spouse, that's the word it would be. You could use that word in there interchangeably, much like we often do in culture, specifically with things like sports teams and things like that. So that's the word uh, for love that's being used here. Now, some things start happening in Saul, uh, Jonathan's father, uh, and his attitudes towards David and how he and David get along. And so we're going to read a little bit about that. So I think we could say there are some issues <laughs> between David and Jonathan's dad. Now, I don't know if you've ever been in a friendship where your friend's parents weren't fond of you or maybe didn't like you or didn't think you were the greatest friend for, for their child. But I don't know how many of us have been around uh, parents who were friends' parents who were trying to kill us. And I also want you to know that it's not just that... Uh, it's not, just, it's not just that Saul is trying to kill David. It, this phrase, I'm going to pin David to the wall. The amount of malice that exists in that phrase sort of reveals what is going on uh, in, in Saul's heart. And I have to say that if I, was, uh, if I was one of their friends, being an outsider in this, I would say, you got to get out of this. right? you got to change this. This, this isn't... This isn't working. This isn't just an issue of hey, your friend's dad doesn't think you're very cool. This is he's actively trying to kill you. Uh, and so these, these issues uh, escalate, and Jonathan is kind of caught in between. And I don't know if you've ever been caught in between two people who aren't seeing eye to eye. And most of us have been to some extent, and maybe it wasn't to the extent of someone trying to kill someone, but maybe it was. Maybe it was really close. Maybe not physical harm or death, but maybe there was a level of hatred that you were in the middle of that you could feel at this level. And I know one thing is anytime I've ever been in a situation where I'm caught in between two people, I want to get out as quickly as I can. But something different happens here. Saul, at one point, tries to kill David again in chapter 19, and he continues to get more crazed about David. And this goes on to a point where Jonathan realizes that his friendship with David overrides his sonship and his allegiance to his father, who was also his king. 
Now a lot more happens in this friendship. At one point, David is on the run, and he has opportunities to kill Saul, but he doesn't. But he kind of shouts out like, hey, I could have killed you, but I didn't, which I think is his attempt to say, I want our relationship to not be so crazy, but it doesn't seem to help. Uh, Saul gets more bent, and then he gets unbent, and he goes back and forth between this, I want to kill you. Oh, I'm so sorry. I'm such a bad person. I want to kill you again. And in the midst of all of this, David and Jonathan's friendship continues to strengthen. Now we get to a point um, that comes up in 2 Samuel. Now we have the death of Jonathan, right? This, this dear friend of David's. And so David hears about this, and he goes into a period of mourning. And during this mourning, one of the things he says is the, is the, the kind of key in all of this. And so here's that part of the passage. This is a powerful statement. Your love for me was wonderful. More wonderful than that of women. This is also a different word for love than the one we encountered before. Did you know that the word word love appears in the Old Testament nearly 450 times? And for us, it's a bit like how we talk about rain in the Pacific Northwest. right? There's downpour, there's drizzle, there's a sprinkling... There's this stuff that some people I've heard refer to as Seattle spit, which is where it's not raining, but it's not fog. It's kind of this drifty dots of water that kind of move around, and all they do is make everything wet. And so we call it all rain. The word love in the Bible is a lot like this at different times. The word that's used here is this word ahava. And it describes the love between people and between God and his people. Notice, this is not a word in scripture that's ever used towards an object. Always and only between people and between God and his people. And this word shows up 31 times out of the 450 times that it's used. And it has a specific tone to it. There's a specific attribute that comes up with this particular word for love that I want us to see if we can identify. We're going to look at just four examples of this in scripture. Seemed like only a few days to him because of his ahava. Here's that word. Jacob endured seven years of working with his father-in-law, soon-to-be father-in-law, while waiting to marry Rachel. And it ended up being even longer than that because his father-in-law was a trickster just like him. But this word in this context speaks of this ongoing patience, this ability to endure. Let's look at another one. This is Song of Solomon, uh, chapter 2, verse 4.
And a banner is a public display. Something that says, this person is the one I have chosen over all others and who I am dedicated to. It speaks of commitment. Here's another one from Song of Solomon, chapter 8, verses 6 through 7. strong, lasting, enduring. And here's one more from uh, Jeremiah chapter 31, verse 3. Everlasting. Again, there's this picture of this ongoing, enduring, patient, wooing, and faithful love. Do you catch the flavor of this word? Strong, patient, enduring, faithful. This is the core aspect of friendship in the Bible. It stems from the very relationship that exists within God himself. As Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, they exist in an everlasting friendship that is defined and held together by faithfulness. Always there for one another. Always supporting and moving around and encouraging and uplifting one another. And so God exists in the truest friendship. The friendship that is the source and model for all other friendships. Who do you have in your life that is like that? Who in your life are you a friend to in this way? Who are the people that no matter what you have done, they will and continue to stand by you? Who are the people in your life that it's very hard to be friends with in this way? I'm going to tell a story that's going to shift gears in a little bit. That's going to feel like we're going 70 down the freeway and threw it into reverse. So hang on uh, for a second. Even in our practice preach, I told uh, the rest of the staff this, and they were like, okay. And we got done with the story. They were like, oh, that was not enough. to." So just hang in there. Um, a friend that I know uh, has... Uh, a friend who was married. So we've got my friend, and then they're friends with a couple. Um, at some point during this couple's relationship, the, the wife, who was very sick and in a lot of pain, had asked her husband to terminate her life. Uh, and so the husband did. Uh, in secret, murdered her, and then buried her in their yard. Um, and when they were discovered, they confessed it all and went to jail. My friend, who knew this couple, went to jail to visit this person and said, uh, I can't be friends with you anymore. What you've done, whatever reason you did it for, I, I, I can't. I can't do it. I can't navigate this. Even at some point, if you get out, we can no longer be friends. And I can understand this. I don't know how I would have responded in that situation. Sometimes I feel like, oh, I hope I would respond differently. Sometimes I don't. But I can understand why this person responded that way. But what it begs in my heart is the question, then, who will be friends with this person? Who will be friends with a murderer or a rapist 
abusers, tyrannical leaders, cheaters, liars, adulterers, thieves, racists, violent people, people who think adulterous and lustful thoughts, jealous people, people who call other fools, or people who think others are fools. Who will be a friend to a sinner? Who will be a friend to you and I? Wonderfully and faithfully, it is Jesus. In fact, when we think about Jesus' death and resurrection, we see faithfulness fully lived out. Jesus' ahava, his faithfulness to the Father, expressed in his obedience to God all the way to dying on a cross. We see the Father's faithfulness to Jesus in not only the times where he said things like, you are my son with whom I am well pleased, but that he gave him this mission and that he raised him up from the dead. The faithfulness of the Holy Spirit to empower Jesus to be obedient to the Father and to be the power that raised Jesus from the dead, which, by the way, is the same power we're told in Ephesians is present in our lives. We see God's faithfulness to humanity, not to leave us lost, to always have our backs, to intercede for us where we cannot, and to restore us to a right relationship with God. And that is good news. That is hope. And that is the life that we get to live and that we get to live out in all that we do. And it's summed up in this word faithfulness. This is how we are to treat everybody. It doesn't matter what they believe. It doesn't matter what they practice or how they live. It doesn't matter what they look like or where they're from. Friendship, faithfulness that's built on and defined by the core aspect of love that exists in the Trinity is how humanity is supposed to exist with one another. Right now, In our world, I talk to a lot of people who are terrified, who are really afraid because they don't know what the future holds for them or for our world. And it's on, it doesn't matter what side of anything you're on, people are feeling this. We have lots of people who are wanting to call down fire on each other. I want you gone. At the same time, we are disjointed and incomplete as a body. We're not operating at full strength because some of the members of Christ's body are not yet aware of their role and are not being allowed to function as part of the body in a way that allows them to see who God is. So we're out of sync with the body. We're out of sync with God. We seek to follow rules and regulations over in the place of a relationship with the faithful God, whose mission is to reconcile all things and all people to himself. I believe that faithfulness, this core piece of friendship, is a big turning point for this. And I want to say that it will always work, but it won't always work. And it won't be easy. And if I'm honest, many of us are going to be hurt, and some people will actually die in their attempts to love and be faithful and befriend others. We go back, if you remember, early on in the the scripture we read about David and Jonathan. At one point, Jonathan gives David his clothing, his his armor and his robe and his weapons. There's all kinds of meanings and implications that we can draw from this. But one that I think of is that when you love in a faithful way, you make yourself vulnerable. You give up your armor. You give up your weapons. And you put yourself in a position where you can be hurt. That's exactly what Jesus did. It's exactly what we are called to do. And I believe in the end, love wins the day. I want to invite the worship team and the prayer team to come up. Before we get to uh, connection card questions, I just want to say that if you've never experienced a faithful love before, then today is a great opportunity for you to start that. 
Today is a great opportunity maybe to take some first steps in following Jesus and experiencing what faithful love really looks like. Maybe everyone that has told you they love you has really just wanted to use or manipulate you. Maybe the people who told you they loved you had never experienced faithful love and so were never able to give faithful love. But if you've never experienced faithfulness and want to, please come up and be prayed for. Maybe you have experienced it, but it's not what you're sensing right now. Please come up and be prayed for. And if you have any other prayer needs or things that came up this morning for you or maybe things you weren't able to get prayed for this morning, please come up and get prayed for. Uh, The worship team is going to play in just a second for a minute or two and give you time to reflect on a couple of questions that I'm going to put up on the screen here in just a second. But I want you to make sure that you take that time where they're just playing to, to pray, to write stuff down. And then if you'd put those answers on those connection cards in the wood boxes as you go, that would be great. I'm going to pray, and then they'll play again. You can have time to reflect. And then when they start singing, Rich will probably give an invitation to stand or something. At that point, if you are done writing, please, please join in. But if you still need time to write and reflect, please uh, take time to do that. Here are the few questions that I have. Number one, have you experienced someone being faithful to you? This is just yes or no, right? And some of you may think, oh, yeah, it's obvious. I totally have. But maybe you haven't really. I want you to think for a second and be honest. Have you experienced someone who has been faithful to you? Second, is there someone God is inviting you to befriend and be faithful to? Is there a name or a face of one of your friends or family members or someone you work with or a classmate or someone that just kind of has been bubbling up in your life the last week or so or maybe just this morning? I want you to write that name down. And then lastly, Are there people you believe that the church has been called to be faithful to that the church is currently not? And the reason I put this question on here is these questions are actually a way for us not just to hear from you, but we believe that the Holy Spirit speaks through all of us. This is a great way for us to hear from all of us, the gathered body. Who are some people that maybe we're not engaged with that the Spirit's really calling us to? Okay, so if you could please take a moment as the, the team plays. Uh, to, to write those things down. And then again, please put those in the, in the, the wooden box. Uh, and I'll pray and then, and then I'll start playing. Dear God, I give you great thanks that you are faithful. God, that you are faithful. That you are a friend in this way. I pray that we would learn from you. I pray that we would grow in our friendship with you, and out of that, we would be able to befriend others in the same way. God, I do believe that this is your intended way that humanity would be able to interact with one another. I think it honors you. I think it reflects you. I confess that we haven't always, as your body, done our part to make that happen. But just as we were taught a couple weeks ago, the things we do matter. So I pray we would take it very seriously what it means to befriend others, and that we would do it well. I ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.